0: welcome to meridian magazine's come follow me podcast we are scott and maureen proctor and we're delighted to be with you again to talk about the most important of all commemorations in the world easter
1: in our last episode we asked for your help to share this podcast with three family members or friends many of you responded thank you so much for those who did not take that opportunity we encourage you to share the podcast with others this week. Just tell them to come to ldsmag.com forward slash podcast. Today's podcast will be the 15th episode in the New Testament series, and anyone can go back and listen to all the previous episodes.
0: As we begin talking about the most important events in human history, the atonement, death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ, we encourage you to watch the video that the 15 Apostles made in Rome at the time of the temple dedication, as they each one took a part of the document, The Living Christ, and filmed it in that marvelous setting. It's very moving, so much so we will add the video to our podcast notes so that you can come to it on Meridian and be edified by seeing these Apostles testify so fervently of Jesus Christ.
1: Easter is, of course, much more than the Easter bunny, chocolates, egg hunts, and treats and gifts for the children. First of all, how do we determine when Easter is every year? Because the date is always changing. Most people don't realize that in AD 325 at the Council of Nicaea, Easter was established to be held on the first Sunday after the first full moon occurring on or after the spring equinox. That tradition has held now for nearly 17 centuries.
0: So let's put something in perspective. In this dispensation, the dispensation of the fullness of times, it's been about two centuries since the first vision. In many ways, that seems like a long, long time. Now at the time of Jesus' mortal ministry the people had been practising the law of Moses for fourteen centuries and everything, every wit, every practice, every rite, every ritual, every jot, every tittle, all pointed to the atonement death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the faithful knew that. We read that in the days of Alma and the four sons of Mosiah, they did keep the law of Moses, for it was expedient that they should keep the law of Moses, as yet for it was not all fulfilled. But notwithstanding the law of Moses, they did look forward to the coming of Christ, considering that the law of Moses was a type of his coming, and believing that they must keep those outward performances until the time that he should be revealed unto them, that's Alma 25:15,
1: And of course, Passover itself, at the time of the exodus from Egypt, was the archetype of the atonement. Do you remember what the children of Israel were to do that night? They were to take the blood of a lamb without blemish, unquote, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. This is from Exodus 12:7. Can you picture this? Stand in a doorway and spread your arms out perpendicular to your body. The blood would be on the side posts where your hands touch them and also just above your head. This was in a sign like the cross. Quote, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. That's Exodus 12:13. So those who followed this commandment would not be destroyed. The destroying angel would pass by them. All of this pointed to the atonement of Jesus Christ.
0: Yes, because it is through his blood that we are able to enter the door of the kingdom of God. Those that faithfully lived the law of Moses would have been given to see this type. This is from Alma 34:13 and 14. Therefore it is expedient that there should be a great and last sacrifice, and then shall there be a stop to the shedding of blood. Then shall the law of Moses be fulfilled, every jot and tittle, and none shall have passed away. And behold, this is the whole meaning of the law, every whit pointing to that great and last sacrifice, And that great and last sacrifice will be the Son of God, yea, infinite and eternal. So in other words, that when that sacrifice was made by Jesus Christ, it meant an ending to the living of the Law of Moses.
1: One way to focus on the blessings of the Savior's Atonement the week of Easter is to spend time each day reading about the last week of Jesus' life. In the lesson materials, a possible reading schedule has been outlined for each day. Here are some of the questions you could ask while you are daily preparing for Easter this week. Remember, all these things are to help you bring Christ more to the center of your thinking. What do you find in these chapters that helps you feel the Savior's love? What do you learn about His power to deliver you from sin and death? What do you learn about enduring trials and overcoming weaknesses? How are you exercising faith in His power of deliverance?
0: You might also contemplate the following. Do I really know and believe that if I draw near unto the Savior, He will draw near unto me? Do I exercise faith on the merits and mercy of Him who is mighty to save? How has the Savior blessed my life this past year or this past week? How does the sacrament each week help me reflect upon the Savior's mission and draw closer to Him? Am I living in a manner that invites the Spirit to be with me? Do I reflect daily on the hand of the Lord in my life? All of these questions and contemplations can help you as you look forward to Easter as individuals and families.
1: Just as outlined in the lesson, let's look at what happened in those last days of Jesus' life. Sunday, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This great scene is worthy of note and to always remember. Here is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords entering the great city, Jerusalem. He's being celebrated as the son of David, the son of God, and in reverence and celebration, hundreds, if not thousands, are waving palm branches and strewing them in the street before Jesus, who is humbly riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and saying, Hosanna. This means save us or help us or rescue us. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David. This refers to the unified kingdom of Israel. No division among them that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. This is from Mark 11, 9 and 10. The palm branch is a symbol of victory, triumph, peace, and eternal life. How appropriate. And when some Pharisees decried this show of adoration and praise and asked the Lord to tell them to stop, he said, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Luke 19, 39 and 40. Even the very rocks would sing praises to the king. Would we also have sung praises to his name in this setting? Would it also be appropriate this week of Easter to sing a hymn as a family, couple or individual, to praise his name? How about hymn 72, Praise to the Lord the Almighty? Remember that first verse? Praise to the Lord the Almighty, the King of creation. O my soul, praise him, for he is thy health and salvation. Join the great throng, psaltery organ and song, sounding, In glad adoration.
0: Then on Monday, he cleansed the temple, and this is in Matthew 21, 12 through 16. What is the meaning of Jesus cleansing the temple? Jesus is saying that no unclean thing can enter the presence of the Father, and it is only through him, Jesus Christ, and his atoning blood that anyone can come back to be with the Father. He is saying that we must also clean up our temples. With his help, even our own bodies to be able to feel of his spirit and partake of his atonement. He is saying that the temple itself, the physical structure, is his holy house and no unclean thing can be there or else the spirit will not be there. His presence will not be there. He showed how far the people had come in rejecting the law and in changing his doctrines and teachings. Do we need to also cleanse our own temples? This question is worth pondering during this week of Easter. Are there things we can do this very week to help cleanse our thoughts, our bodies, our lives to better receive Him?
1: On Tuesday, and this is in Matthew chapters 21 to 23, He was teaching in Jerusalem. If you look at these chapters, the Lord continues to teach the people in parables and he asks them some very telling questions. One question you might review on this Tuesday before Easter is in Matthew 22:42. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? You could discuss this in your home and in your hearts. As we were thinking about this question for the podcast, a beautiful song came to our minds that Paul Cardall wrote and composed. It is written from the perspective of Mary, talking of her baby son, and who he was. Listen to this.
2: Because you love us, you love us, you save us from the fall. You were born to heal. and rescue one by one and no matter how they try to hurt you and bruise you You love us you love us you save us from the fall you were born to heal
1: This man was indeed the Son of God.
0: On Wednesday of Jesus last week, he continued to teach the people in parables and in very specific teachings about the destructions that would come upon the people if they did not repent. Among those teachings, he gave the parable of the ten virgins. This is important specifically for us, as this was given again in our dispensation through the prophet Joseph Smith. We are reading from the 45th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, verses 56 and 57. And at that day, when I shall come in my glory, shall the parable be fulfilled, which I spake concerning the ten virgins. Now there are four things we're told to remember here. This is for they that are wise, that's number one, and have received the truth, that's number two, and have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide, that's number three, and have not been deceived. That's number four. Verily I say unto you, they shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire, but shall abide the day. Important. So let us be wise. Let us receive the truth. Let us truly take the Holy Spirit for our guide and let us not be deceived. What perfect counsel for us in our day and time and a perfect thing to ponder this week of Easter.
1: On Thursday was the Passover and... Christ's suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. You can see this in Matthew chapter 26. On Thursday, the Savior gathered his twelve apostles and surely other of his disciples, including women, to an upper room to keep the Passover meal. Understand that an upper room means this was in the upper part of the city of Jerusalem, a more affluent area, and we think this may have been the home of John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark. We take our tour groups each spring to the upper room, which is located right over the traditional site of King David's tomb. The room we visit dates to medieval times, but may be in the vicinity of the original room. Not far from here is another upper room, which is revered by the Armenian Christians as the authentic site. Most important, however, is the gathering of the Savior with His followers. They kept the Passover meal together. This meal had been kept now for nearly 14 centuries every year by the faithful followers of the Law of Moses. It consisted of these items.
0: And these items reflect the Law of Moses. That's why it's so interesting to look at them. So first, there would be a roasted lamb shank bone. This commemorates the paschal lamb sacrifice made the night the ancient Hebrews fled Egypt. It is called Zoroa, which can mean outstretched arm. Some say this symbolized the outstretched arm of God. Jesus that very night was to become the lamb sacrificed from before the foundation of this world.
1: It also consisted of a roasted egg. This represents springtime or renewal and is where the tradition of eggs at Easter generally comes from. Some say it was a symbol of the ancient Hebrews that the more the egg is roasted, the tougher it becomes. This egg was not shelled and it's also not eaten. Jesus would be the spring of renewal for all those who would turn to him, follow him, and keep his commandments.
0: Then a part of that Passover meal would certainly be bitter herbs. These herbs, often horseradish, will bring tears to the eyes and reminds the participant of the bitterness of their slavery in Egypt. And in a deeper sense, the bitterness of the bondage of sin. Remember, Scott, doing that seder meal together, and you had a large portion of bitter herbs on your plate, and you took the whole thing at once? Oh. That was quite the experience.
1: Oh, it just, it just made I thought I was going to die. It was so much bitterness and so much heat. I could hardly breathe.
0: A perfect symbol. And we remember that Jesus is the only one that can free us from the bitter bondage of sin.
1: Next is the haroset which is the opposite of the bitter herbs. Traditionally, this was made of finely cut up apples, nuts, cinnamon, and red wine, and was to bring to remembrance the mortar used by the Hebrew slaves to make bricks. Now it would be the foundation of Jesus alone upon which we could build our house.
0: Following that is also the karpas, or green vegetables. This was to symbolize the newness of spring. Some say this was to make the participant feel like royalty, since so few then got green vegetables. Jesus represented the new law, the new commandments, the newness of life. And then there's the hasaret, a second bitter herb is eaten. Again, to remind them of the bitterness of bondage of any kind. Jesus alone can free us from the bondage of sin
1: there is always a bowl of salt water on the table, reminding them of the tears and sweat of enslavement. The setter meal participant will dip his or her carpaz in the salt water through the meal. John, who was there that night at the Last Supper, would later record, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. This is Revelation 21 verses three and four. Jesus himself would wipe away all tears through his marvelous atoning sacrifice that would begin later that very evening.
0: I find that beautiful and comforting. Then, as a part of a meal, there would be the matzah, or unleavened bread. There were always three pieces stacked and covered with a clean cloth. Matzah represented both the bread the Hebrews took with them in a hurry, no time for it to have leaven and rise, as they were freed from the bondage of the Egyptians. And, because it contains no shortening or yeast or other enriching ingredients, it also reminded them of the bread of affliction and meager rations given to the Hebrews during their enslavement. Jesus' body, given in sacrifice after a hasty trial, would be without sin or leaven and would free us from the bondage of sin.
1: Lastly, the participant would drink four very small cups of wine or grape juice. Some think these four glasses of wine were to bring to remembrance the four letters of the Tetragrammaton, the unspeakable Hebrew name of the Most High God. Traditionally, this would remind them of the four promises of redemption from Jehovah, who is this very Jesus Christ at the table on this night. Here are the promises that are reviewed with the wine. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you from their slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you to me for a people. That's in Exodus six, verses six and seven.
0: All these things were reviewed and reflected upon at that last supper. This was a very Christ-centered, and I might add, a very symbolic meal. And then Jesus instituted a new commandment that night after the Passover meal that went way beyond this 14 centuries-old law of Moses. He said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love, one to another. That's John 13 verses 34 through 35. Here would be the key for all people to recognize his disciples by this love that they have one for another. At the time of the Rome Temple dedication, Elder David A. Bednar said of this love, words are inadequate to describe the strength and the bond, the friendship, the reverence that we have among the members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. It is the strongest bond of brotherhood that I think exists on the earth.
1: Jesus also instituted the sacrament after the Passover meal, which would be the great symbol of remembrance of the sacrifice he was about to perform. He gave this tender promise to his disciples in that upper room about the sacrament. Behold, this is for you to do in remembrance of my body. For as oft as ye do this, ye will remember this hour that I was with you. And as oft as you do this ordinance, you will remember me in this hour that I was with you and drank with you of this cup, even the last time in my ministry. I love that promise, and I often think about that during the sacrament. Though I was not there with the Lord at that last supper, I still think about his teachings and his love that he gave to the disciples that night on that sacred occasion.
0: Later this very night, Jesus would go to the Garden of Gethsemane and there suffer beyond all comprehension for the sins of all men who would turn to him. The 19th section of the Doctrine and Covenants captures some of the Lord's words about that night. Which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit and would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. Nevertheless, glory be to the Father, and I partook and finished my preparations unto the children of men. We'll discuss all of this in greater detail in another podcast.
1: Friday was the trial, crucifixion, and burial of Jesus Christ, and is included in Matthew chapter 26, verses 1-61. through 61. Jesus spent that Friday early in the morning in an illegal and hasty trial, being mocked, abused, scourged, and beaten as he faced his false accusers and those who had been trying to get him destroyed ever since the raising of Lazarus from the dead. On this day would be his trial, his crucifixion, and his burial. As Pontius Pilate examined Jesus that day, he said, Art thou a king, then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king? To this end was I born, and for this cause came I unto the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. That's John 18:37.
0: Jesus was placed on the cross at the third hour, nine o'clock in the morning, and at the sixth hour, which is noon, the skies grew dark and would continue that way for three hours. At the ninth hour, just at the very moment faithful families all over Jerusalem were killing the Paschal Lamb, Jesus would give up the ghost and die. The law had been fulfilled. The great and last sacrifice had been given the Lamb of God was dead. Christ's body was laid in a tomb that belonged to one of his followers, Joseph of Arimathea.
1: On Saturday, Christ's body continued in the tomb while his spirit ministered in the spirit world. Remember, the Jews counted days by using any portion of a day to count for one. In other words, Jesus' body was laid in the tomb on Friday afternoon, that's one day, was in the tomb all day Saturday, that's the Jewish Sabbath, so that's two days, and also through into Sunday morning, the first day of the week, so that makes three days. During this time his body laid in the tomb, Jesus was in the spirit world, declaring redemption to them that slept in him. We read in section 138 of the Doctrine and Covenants in verses 18 and 19. While this vast multitude waited and conversed, rejoicing in the hour of their deliverance from the chains of death, the Son of God appeared, declaring liberty to the captives who had been faithful. And there he preached to them the everlasting gospel, the doctrine of the resurrection, and the redemption of mankind from the fall and from individual sins on conditions of repentance. This visit to the spirit world reminds us that Jesus Christ's mission is to bring redemption to all who will accept and follow him and his commandments and ordinances. He has not forgotten any, not one. This makes us so happy.
0: And then on Sunday, all that glorious Sunday, was the appearance of the resurrected Christ. The culmination of our celebration of Easter is the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ on that Sunday. Think of this. In all the history of mankind to that point, no one had ever conquered death. Now, Jesus Christ had become the first fruits of them that slept. That's 1 Corinthians 15 and 20. He forsook the tomb. He triumphed over all things. He had overcome death and Satan. He had overcome the world. In our time, he has said, Fear not, little children, for you are mine, and I have overcome the world. And you are of them that my Father hath given me. That's Doctrine and Covenants 50, verse 41. That last line, you are of them that my Father hath given me, harks back to his intercessory prayer he gave the night he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's in John 17, 24. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. What a glorious day this was when Christ was risen from the dead.
1: No wonder we sing exultantly, Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. Sons of men and angels say, Alleluia. Raise your joys and triumphs high. Alleluia. Sing, ye heavens and earth reply. Alleluia.
0: Love's redeeming work is done. Alleluia. Fought the fight. The victory won. Alleluia. Jesus' agony is o'er. Alleluia. Darkness veils the earth. No more. Alleluia.
1: Lives again our glorious King. Alleluia. Where, O death, is now thy sting? Alleluia. Once he died our souls to save, Alleluia, wear thy victory, O grave, Alleluia. That Sacred Hymns number 200. That Alleluia means praise ye Jehovah. And so we indeed sing praise to him for this most glorious of all deeds that he overcame death and sin and he offers those same gifts to all of us as we turn to him.
0: We might ask a question here. Do we have sufficient witnesses of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ? The first to witness the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ was Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. John twenty eighteen.
1: On that same day, two were walking on the road to Emmaus. Jesus walked with them, although at first he did not reveal himself to them, but he unfolded the scriptures to them and taught them of the full plan of salvation, including his atonement, death, and resurrection. After he left, and they knew who it had been, they said, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? That's Luke 24, 32.
0: On that same day of his resurrection, which was Sunday, ten of the apostles and other of the disciples, including women, met together behind closed doors, and he appeared unto them. They all became witnesses of the risen Lord. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Luke twenty-four thirty-six.
1: A week later, Jesus appeared to all eleven of the apostles and other disciples, including women, here, Thomas was able to see and touch the resurrected Lord and declare that he was indeed his Lord and his God. You can find that in John chapter 20, verses 26 to 29.
0: He was seen of about 500 brethren at once, recorded Paul, and a personal appearance to James. And of course, Paul himself became a witness of the resurrected Christ. See 1 Corinthians 15:5 through 8. He appeared at the Sea of Galilee to seven of the apostles. You remember that tender scene when he asked, Children, have ye any meat? John 21,
1: 4-14. Jesus showed himself to the Nephites at the temple in Bountiful and did many mighty and miraculous works for them. There were 2,500 men, women, and children there who became personal witnesses of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ that day.
0: And because many people worked all through the night to tell the people that the Savior had come and visited them, a much larger crowd gathered at the temple in Bountiful the next morning and also became witnesses of the resurrected Jesus Christ. This crowd could have numbered as much as 12 times that original group. It may have been even 30,000 men, women, and children.
1: But the witnesses do not stop there. The resurrected Jesus Christ also appeared to the lost tribes of Israel. They all became witnesses of him We are promised that we will yet have their records.
0: And in our day, we have numerous eyewitnesses of the risen Lord. In our dispensation, Joseph Smith became the first witness of the risen Lord in the first vision. When the light rested upon me, he said, I saw two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description, standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, this is my beloved son, hear him.
1: Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon recorded, and now, after the many testimonies which have been given of him, this is the testimony, last of all, which we give of him, that he lives. For we saw him, even on the right hand of God, and we heard the voice bearing record that he is the only begotten of the Father.
0: Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery also saw the resurrected Christ in the Kirtland Temple, recorded in Doctrine and Covenants section 110. We saw the Lord standing upon the breastwork of the pulpit before us, and under his feet was a paved work of pure gold in color like amber. His eyes were as a flame of fire. The hair of his head was white like the pure snow. His countenance shone above the brightness of the sun, and his voice was as the sound of the rushing of great waters, even the voice of Jehovah saying, I am the first and the last. I am he who liveth. I am he who was slain. I am your advocate with the Father.
1: But the witnesses do not stop there. John Murdoch, one of the early converts in Kirtland, recorded. About midday, the visions of my mind were opened, and the eyes of my understanding were enlightened, and I saw the form of a man, most lovely. The visage of his face was sound and fair as the sun, his hair a bright silver-gray, curled in most majestic form, his eyes a keen, penetrating blue, and the skin of his neck a most beautiful white, and he was covered from the neck to the feet with a loose garment, pure white, whiter than any garment I have ever before seen. His countenance was most penetrating and yet most lovely. And while I was endeavoring to comprehend the whole personage from head to feet, it slipped from me and the vision was closed up, but it left on my mind the impression of love for months that I never felt before to that degree.
0: Many others in the early days of the church were witnesses of the resurrected Christ, but the witnesses do not stop there. George Q. Cannon said in General Conference, I know that God lives. I know that Jesus lives, for I have seen him. I testify to you of these things as one that knows, as one of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ that can bear witness to you today in the presence of the Lord that he lives and that he will live and will come to reign on the earth.
1: As we mentioned in a former podcast, at the funeral of Elder Richard G. Scott, Elder D. Todd Christofferson said this, that word, no, is a very important word for those 15 men who are apostles. The sacred experiences and the confirmation of the certainty that our Father in heaven lives, that his son, Jesus Christ, is our savior, not a hope, not a belief, not a wish, but an absolute confirmed certainty. Our Father in heaven is real. His Son, Jesus Christ, is real. I know the Savior.
0: President Henry B. Eyring also gave his witness. I am a witness of the resurrection of the Lord as surely as if I had been there in the evening with the two disciples in the house on Emmaus Road. I know that he lives as surely as did Joseph Smith when he saw the Father and the Son in the light of a brilliant morning in a grove of trees in Palmyra. And the witnesses of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ go on and on. Do we have sufficient witnesses of him? A resounding yes.
1: Happy Easter. May you be blessed as individuals and families to grow closer to him who is the living Christ. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Paul Cardall for the beautiful music that opened and closes this podcast and that beautiful number in between.
0: Next week's lesson is What Shall I Do to Inherit Eternal Life and covers Matthew chapter 18 and Luke chapter 10. Thanks for sharing this podcast with three others. Tell them to go to ldsmag.com forward slash podcast.
1: See you next time.